This is the greatest day in sports for me, and that's because it is the final round of the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, which I love to watch. It's probably my favorite day just to watch this final round of Augusta. There are several reasons for that, but one of the main reasons is just because of the beauty of the course. I've watched this course on television many, many times, and just looking at the backdrop of this course is breathtaking. For example, look at this picture up here on the screen. This is just one picture of that golf course. And, you know, if there are golf courses in heaven, and I think the Bible says somewhere there are, um, <laughs> they will look like this. I mean, there's just no doubt. This is what they're going to look like. And, in fact, it's interesting because they've had bad weather there today, so they bumped up all the tee times. So they've started. The leaders are out right now. Um, in fact, Tigers, he's, he was near the lead when we started today. And... Um, He's, he's playing. He's probably about to make the turn. Is anybody planning to get updates on their phone throughout the sermon this morning? Let me see your phones. Okay, I see one. Any others? Okay, here's what I want you to know. First, you shouldn't be doing this, all right? But the second thing is, since you are, maybe we could develop these signals, all right? So, like, if Tiger birdies one thumbs up, if the Eagles two thumbs up, don't tell me if he's not playing well, all right? I just assume not know that. I'm, honestly, don't do this, all right? You're going to distract me, so <laughs> just, just leave me alone here. Their heads are buried in their phones right now. All right, I was back in the tech booth a couple minutes ago, and our camera director gave me an update. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be focused on the service right now? So, but anyway, um, I've always wanted to visit this golf course. It's, I put it on my bucket list just because the scenery is so breathtaking. And to get a ticket is difficult. They actually have like this random draw. You apply for tickets. It's almost like a lottery where you win or not. I've applied for years, never got tickets, but I had a friend who did and he got tickets. He got four tickets. And so he came up to me one day and he said, hey, Jerry, would you and Janet like to go to Augusta for the Masters Golf Tournament? And I had to think about it for a millisecond or so. And I said, yes, yes, yes. The power of an invitation. I remember I was going to come home from Thanksgiving break on college, and I had seen this pretty young lady. And so I asked her, hey, when I'm home at Thanksgiving break, would you go out with me? She probably had to think about it more than a millisecond. But fortunately, she said yes, and 36 years later, she's my wife. The power of an invitation. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the power of an invitation, but in the context of church, and not just any church, in the context of our church. We want to talk about why we do what we do as a church. If you're a guest here today, you've actually picked a great day to be here. The reason is you're going to get kind of an inside look at who we are as a church. You're going to get to see what makes us tick. Now, if you were to say to me, Jerry, if you could narrow it down, if you could simplify it, what it means to be part of the ridge, what would that look like? I think I could narrow it down to four things about what it means to be part of the ridge. So let me show you. Here's, here would be the first one. It would be this. Connect in a group. Connect in a group. And, and what I mean by that is in a small group, we call them life groups here 
at the Ridge. There are about eight to ten people who get together regularly. Some of them get together, you know, like once every other week and do that consistently. You meet together, you interact with each other, you share your life, we call it doing life together, you study the Bible together, you pray together, you hold each other accountable, you encourage each other. It's just a way to keep us moving along spiritually. Do you know what the number one way to lose weight is? It's not to eat less. It's not to eat right. It's not even to exercise. All those are important. We should do all those. But the number one way to lose weight is to share the experience. So when you have others doing that with you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, you can talk about it. You're motivating them. They're motivating you. It can make all the difference in the world. I remember when I first read that in a fitness blog a few years ago, and I thought, that is so true for spiritual fitness as well. Sharing the experience. If you're not in a group where you can grow and help others grow, that, that's so core to our DNA around here. And we want you to be. You know, we have, a, we have a value that says this. We relentlessly pursue next steps. And so perhaps your next step is to get in a group. Here's a second way to be part of the Ridge, and it's this. Serve on a team. There are tons of ways you can do that. Now, you may be thinking, there's no way I can do that. You know, I don't know how to volunteer, especially at a church of all places, you know. Oh, you wouldn't believe the ways you could volunteer around here. Things, you know, like our first impressions team from Parkers, Ushers, Greeters. Um, you could serve as part of our music team if you're musical, you know. We, we always need volunteers, like with our child care on Sunday morning. We're never fully staffed there. You could go to Ridge Kids, our elementary age, and volunteer serve there with our teens, our students. Even things like, we have volunteers that change light bulbs around here. I don't know if you ever noticed, but there are a lot of light bulbs in this building. Um, we have volunteers that change light bulbs. Stage design, when we change out of stage design, that's going to happen today. Get ready for Easter. That, there are volunteers who do that to medical teams. There are just tons of ways. But, but we often think serving is about giving to someone else. Actually, it's fascinating what happens when we serve, when we volunteer. Something happens inside of us. Because we were created for this. We begin to feel purpose. And we come alive when we begin to serve. Now, a third way to be part of the Ridge around here is to give a percentage. I mean, this one's just real practical. Honestly, this is just how we pay the bills. And what we mean by a percentage is just where you take a percentage of your income each week or hour and you get paid, and you set it aside for God. That's actually a biblical principle. The Bible talks about doing that, setting aside a percentage of your income. The Bible sets a standard of 10%, and you go, wow, 10%, I don't know if I could do that. You can start it with a percentage and work your way there. And like I said, the practical reason for this is it pays our bills. All the giving that comes in here is volunteer. We don't want to beg, berate, bribe, that kind of thing. But we do want to let you know this is how we keep the place going. But again, there's a bigger principle here too. Something happens inside your heart when you begin to do this. And that's because Jesus said there's a really, really close connection between your wallet and your relationship with him. He's the one who said that. And he said, if you want to show me how much I mean to you, if you want to show me how much you love me, then give back to me financially. We have another value around here that says this. We will be contributors 
not consumers. And that's a high value to us here at the Ridge. By the way, if any of these three or all three of them resonate with you this morning, so I'm ready to take my next step, if you go to our Ridge Facebook page, it's already posted there today. It tells you how to take your next steps. It'll connect you to some website pages and tell you how you can get in a group, how you can serve, or how you can give a percentage. So check out our Facebook page there. There's one other way to be part of what's going on around here, and that's this, to invite a friend. And this is actually where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning because there is so much power in an invitation. And let me take a minute and first tell you why we don't invite. We don't invite because we want our church to get bigger. Honestly, that's not that big a concern to us. But what does concern us is that the number of people who don't know Jesus get smaller. So, for example, as we look to the future and we plan strategically, we don't ask questions like, how can we get bigger? How can we expand? But we do ask questions like this. What would be the most effective strategy to introduce more people to Jesus so that Jesus can make a difference in their lives? A second reason we don't invite is because we think something is wrong with our friends. I mean, that's, that's not a good thing. It's like, you know, it's like uh, when the friend offers you a breath mint. You're going, why are you offering me this, you know? Is it that bad? Or they keep inviting you over and over to Weight Watchers, and you're like, really? It looks that bad, you know? No, that's not what this is all about. And besides, you don't have to be around us very long, around those of us who attend, to find out that we all have our share of struggles anyway. You know, if the standard is that you have to do something wrong to get invited to this church, <laughs> every single one of us, probably me at the top of the list, you could invite us every week. But here's why we do invite our friends. It's this, because Jesus makes our lives better and makes us better at life. Jesus has forgiven me of, of all of my sins. And I have a boatload of them. I don't know if you do or not, but... Jesus has given my life purpose. He's also given me the promise of heaven when I die. Who wouldn't want all that? Plus, he makes me better. I, I say this sincerely. You would not want to see the non-Jesus version of Jerry. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> Believe me when I say that. Because I get glimpses of the non-Jesus version of Jerry and I don't like what I see. When Jesus was on earth, he invited people to experience him all the time. And I want to take the time this morning to show you one of those powerful invitations that he gave. Um, it's recorded in John 4 in the Bible. I'm just going to jump in. Eventually, he, Jesus, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. It says he sat down at a well about noontime because he was tired and thirsty. And I love how we see the human side of Jesus here. So here's what happened. Next, we read, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Nobody showed up at the village well at noon. You just didn't go because this was the heat of the day. So she had to be completely surprised when she saw Jesus sitting there because nobody was ever there. Perhaps 
It began as an awkward moment when she shows up and Jesus is there. They, they didn't know each other, nor was she expecting to see anyone, but there was a reason she came at noon, even though, like I said, nobody went at noon. She didn't want anyone to see her there. She didn't want anybody to know she was there. She lived with shame. She lived with regret, as we're going to see. An awkward moment when they meet at a well. You ever have an awkward moment? Many, many years ago, I woke up real early, like 4 a.m., and I couldn't get back to sleep, so I decided to go out to the mailbox and get the newspaper. All I had on was my pajama bottoms. They were shorts. Sorry to put that image in your head, but it was 4 a.m., it was dark out, and nobody would see me. And it was warm out, so I just walked out the front door and headed down the drive. Halfway down the drive, I realized something. My next-door neighbor, whose son and wife were visiting from Pennsylvania, had apparently decided to leave that morning at 4 a.m. So there they all stood in their drive. At that moment, I also noticed their drive was surprisingly close to our drive. In the 20 years that we lived in this house, I don't think ever before or after would our neighbors be in their drive at 4 a.m., but they were that morning. Now, seeing your next-door neighbor walk down his drive in his pajama shorts is awkward, okay? Perhaps even disturbing, um, especially when you know that guy's a pastor, you know? But honestly, I was committed by then, so I just waved, kept going to the box, got the paper. Um, can you imagine what their conversation was like later that day? Awkward moments, they happen. So Jesus is having an awkward moment. Actually, this woman at the well is having an awkward moment as she appears at this well and sees Jesus there. So what's Jesus do? He makes it more awkward. Let me keep reading. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Jesus is breaking so many cultural and religious rules when he asked her for a drink. Jews and Samaritans did not talk to each other. They wouldn't have anything to do with each other. They didn't like each other. And a Jewish man wouldn't even speak to a Jewish woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman. And she picked up on the awkwardness of this moment too. But curiosity got the best of her. So she replies, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? It tells us so much about Jesus. He's breaking down walls, cultural norms. He's telling us what he believes about people, about all people, that they matter. You know, another one of our values as a church is nothing matters if people don't matter. And that's such an important value because it reflects the heart of Jesus. He's asked her for a drink of water. As we read earlier, I'm sure it's because he was thirsty, but you know, he could have gotten his own drink, right? So what's Jesus doing? He's really starting a conversation and breaking down cultural barriers because what he wants to do is extend an invitation to this lady. And he's going to use the metaphor of water to do that. So verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus tells her that he can give her living water. People today, just like in biblical times, have appetites or desires that just can't seem 
to be satisfied. And we all handle it in different ways. You know, we have those cravings. Some try money, material possessions, relationships, power, achievement in their careers, substances, sex. But they all leave us wanting. What do you look to to satisfy you? Well, it seems like this lady in the story was looking for a relationship with other men, as we're going to soon find out. And really, I think what was going on deeper inside of her, she just wanted to feel loved, she wanted to feel secure, to not feel alone. Look at her reply to Jesus, and you can sense her sincerity here. She says, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. What Jesus is doing when he says to her, go get your husband, he's setting her up. Now, in a good way, of course. But you get that, right? I mean, has that ever happened to you where you feel set up? Like when your parents say to you, what time did you get home last night? You know, or the police officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? Or your pastor says, hey, would you like to serve in our child care? We have openings. <laughs> How do you respond? Well, the way you want to respond is, why are you asking me this question? You know, And the lady didn't know where Jesus was going with this either. Jesus wasn't doing this to trick her or to judge her. He, was simply, he simply wanted to invite her into a relationship with him that would satisfy the deepest longings of her heart. So check out how this conversation goes on. I'll start reading verse 17. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. What Jesus is doing here is he wants her to know that he already knows her, he already knows all about her, and he loves her anyway. You know, she's probably thinking, I don't know who you are, but if you really knew me, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. You wouldn't be offering me this so-called living water. Jesus wasn't condemning her at all with these words. He wanted her to know that he knew all about her so he could invite her to experience living water. I know all about your past, your hurts, your regrets, and I'm still inviting you. To the men in her life, she was probably just a piece of property up to this point. Something to be used. In this culture, women had no power. They had no recourse. She couldn't even divorce her husband. Only he could divorce her. And five different men had said to her, I'm done with you. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing you can do that will affect your worth to me. Jesus was in tune with where she was in life. He knew the cues that would allow him to invite her. And an invitation can change everything. There's so much power in an invitation. Now we're talking about inviting a friend today. And our vision as a church is to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. So we've tried to align our church around that vision. We want our facility to be an inviting place for your friends there's intentionality behind our website so that we're thinking of your friend who might check our website out before they attend. 
We want to think about it through their eyes. Sunday mornings are always planned through with your friends in mind. So we say, hey, you can invite your friends 52 Sundays a year. There's music that you hear like you would hear on the radio. That's in intentional. We try to talk in language that you would use if you're just talking to a friend or a neighbor. We try to avoid churchy language, in other words. We want our youth groups to be inviting and open to your kids and their friends. Our promise is that we'll do everything we can to make it easy for you to invite because our vision of the church is to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. In his book, The Unchurched Next Door, Dr. Tom Brainer cites a survey he conducted where 82% of people said they would likely attend church if they were invited by a friend. 82%. And you know, we've checked the statistics around here, and we've also found that over 80% of the people who do come here for the first time do so because a friend invites them. The power of an invitation. So what we're asking you to do is simply to pay attention to those cues as you're hanging out with your friends. And then invite. That's what Jesus did. Now here are three cues that you can pay attention to. In fact, we're going to call them the three knots. Okay? And I actually borrowed these from another church, but the three knots. Um, not uh, K-N-O-T, but N-O-T-S, the three knots. How do you pay attention to cues when you're talking with your friends? Here's the first knot. It's this. When things are not going well. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? Someone's struggling in a marriage. There's a health issue. A child is making a decision that really has the parents nervous. The business is not going well. They're dealing with depression and anxiety. Those are all cues. Man, you know, if you know people around here, you know how much, many struggles all of us have. And it's no different for your friends who aren't going to church, only they don't have a relationship with God in a church to hold them up during that time. And you may be thinking something like, well, I think if you could say something like this, I think if you were to try my church, that might be helpful to you. And some of you have a story to tell. So tell it, you know, where you say, hey, things weren't going well in my life. So I decided to try church and I learned about forgiveness or I found hope or we were struggling in our marriage and we got some help with our marriage. The second cue is this, when they're dealing with something. The second not. Something they're not prepared for. Something they're not prepared for. What do we mean by that? Well, maybe they're about to become empty nesters. Maybe they just got married. Maybe they just got engaged. Maybe they just got a new job. Maybe they're about to get divorced. A new season of life is coming. Maybe they just had kids. I mean, who's prepared for that, you know? Man, I remember when our daughter Melanie, who is our firstborn, was born. And my wife had grown up babysitting for people all the time. She took care of babies. She loved babies. I didn't have a clue. So I remember the first night we brought our baby girl home from the hospital, and I wanted to be the best dad ever. We fed her, we changed her diaper, we put her in her crib, we went to bed, and I was lying there thinking, we have this little human in our house, and I don't know what to do. And the moment she fussed or whimpered, I remember saying to my wife, Janet, did you hear that? Melanie cried, what do we do? 
And my wife was a pro at this, you know, and she took it in stride. But not me. By the time we had had our third one, I remember I was like, cry it out, dude. I want to get my sleep, you know. <laughs> Things come along in life that we're not prepared for, and that's a cue. I mean, you can just say, you know what, I was not prepared for that either, but man, I start going to church, and here's how it helped me. And then there's one more not. The third one is this. If they're not in church, they're not going to church somewhere. We're not looking to invite people that are already going to church. We're pleased that there are other churches in town, and they actually have our blessing, you know. We're all a little different, different churches, and different churches can connect with different people in different ways. But if you have a friend who isn't attending church, that's a great opportunity for you. To sum up, the cues will tell you the who's. <laughs> kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? The cues will tell you the who's. Now back to the story in John chapter 4. When Jesus invites her to experience living water, Watch what happens. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and believe then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. It all started with a conversation, just as natural as it could be. Hey, would you mind giving me a drink of water? And it led to an invitation. It ended with many in the village never thirsting again because they believed in the Savior of the world. Her life, her friends' lives, the entire village was never the same again because of an invitation. The power of an invitation. A few weeks ago, a young couple posted on the Columbus Garage Sale group on Facebook that they were new to town and wanted to connect with a church. So they were asking different people what church they go to so the couple could try them out. Here's the cool thing. Almost 200 comments, one in four told them to try the ridge. And I'm assuming many of those who told them to try the ridge were indeed ridgers themselves. So way to go, ridgers. You're already inviting. With Easter coming next weekend, here's what we're asking you to do. Next weekend is the best weekend of the year to invite someone to church who normally would not attend. People who don't go to church often still attend on Easter weekend. So that's why we like to say around here, we give Easter to our friends. We have been praying and planning this service for months with your friends in mind. Next weekend is our opportunity to help our friends experience what we have. Another one of our values is that we give everything our best shot. And our promise to you is that next weekend, from all of our volunteers to our staff, we're going to do that and ask God to help us with that. The power of an invitation, it can be life-changing. I want you to hear a real-life story about the power of an invitation. Joni invited Peggy, who invited Mary. 
So Peggy has been my massage therapist for years, she and Mary, they're awesome. Um, and in our conversations, I just remember Peggy saying that she didn't have a church to call home. So after lots of massages and lots of invites out of the blues, she texted me one day and said, my, my daughter and I are coming. And the thing I remember most is her telling me how different it was. You should come try, you should come see because it's different um, than what you might expect. The first thing I remember when I came to church was the music. Um, it was amazing, nothing like what we had grown up with. Um, and then there was also the sermon. It spoke to me um, as a real person. I first came to church because Peggy, my sister, invited me after Joni invited her, and kind of for the same reasons. Um, we grew up in church but hadn't been for a long time and it just seemed like it was time that there was something missing. So I decided to come with her that day and have been coming ever since. And I, and I had told somebody once um, that I'd been to church and they're like, whoa, you went to church? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I said, it wasn't like church. Well, why do you want to go to church if it's not like church? I said, because it's not, not like, like church. church. Yeah. It's usually in the middle of hearing someone's story that I'm prompted to tell them about the ridge. Last year when I invited that young man to church, I invited him several times. So not everybody says yes the first time, but that particular um, time when I saw him, I just handed him an Easter card and I said, okay, you pick the service and I'll pick you up. Um, and he came. Um, last week it was a little easier. I asked a guy, I said, hey, do you have Easter plans? He said, no. I said, want to go to church with me? He said, yeah. I invite people all the time now. I have learned so much. Um, I'm actually reading the Bible for the first time, um, following the reading schedule here at the Ridge. And it's just been life-changing for me. And I want other people to experience that as well. I would say the same thing about inviting people. It's just a really different experience, different than we had, like she's already said, when we were growing up. And I think it's it's much easier to understand the Bible and, and to understand the love of Jesus. So like Peggy, I want other people to experience that as well. I've experienced a lot of struggles in the last few years um, and church, um, getting to know God, and having this church family um, has been huge. It's been huge support for me, um, and it's made all the difference. It makes all those struggles way easier. The reason I keep coming back to the Ridge is because, really, I enjoy the whole package. From walking in, everybody is so inviting and cheerful. And I also love the music, but probably the main thing I like are the sermons because after growing up in a church where it was really hard to understand, it is just really incredible to be able to leave church on Sunday, understand the message, and be able to share that with other people.